Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, grab them, turn them to uh, John chapter 17. We, uh, we started, I started a message last Sunday out at the park. How many of you were with us out at the park last week? Man, how many of you want to do church outside more often because of that? You know, it, we just, we do. It's just, it's glorious out there. And we'll, we're planning already to do it again next year. So just kind of go ahead and mark your calendar that the second or third Sunday in October is probably going to be where it lands. We try to get it, you know, after the last storm and before, you know, the first snowfall. Like, it snows around here a lot, you know. Um, we, we just try to, try to balance it in, in that area, so I hope you do that. And I told those of you who were there that when I started that message that, you know, we didn't have worksheets, and I know some of you were shaking because of that and twitching. Um, but I told you I would put the points that I gave you last week in this week's message, uh, and they would already be filled in so you wouldn't have to try to write them down out, out there in the park that day. So I, I want to do that. So if you've got your worksheets out, uh, I want to encourage you to, to, to get those ready too. Um, I, w- I want to give you those, those points from last week and it was this. We're, we're in the series called The Transformational Church and uh, we've been looking at uh, lots of different kind of ideas and topics and some of those topics were lifted out of a, uh, the largest survey done uh, of churches in the United States to, to see specifically how are they transforming their communities? How are they making a difference? And some of what we'll call the markers of those churches. And so we, we were on topic with some of those and as I was walking through that I'm also just kind of doing uh, some personal reading through the gospels as part of a gospel group and I'm listening to the gospels a lot right now and I just was listening through the gospel of John and got got hit by John 17 which is the prayer that Jesus prayed. Now those of you I've heard me talk about this before the what what most people call the Lord's prayer is found in Matthew 6 where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. I call that the disciples prayer. I call the Lord's Prayer what we're going to look at today, John 17, because this is, this is our Lord praying from his heart uh, for, for the church. And the first couple of things that I saw in this prayer I shared with you last week, and it's this, that when Jesus was praying for a transformational church, he prayed that it would be the kind of church that would radiate the glory of God. A transformational church that Jesus prayed for would radiate the glory of God. And we talked about two ways that we can do that. We can do that as we we declare his glory, as we worship. When we gather together, we declare his glory to one another, to our own souls. But we also declare his glory as we witness, as we tell of Jesus and our love for him out in the community. A second way that we can radiate we, God's glory, we declare God's glory, is when we accomplish the work that God gave us. And we talked about how Jesus in his prayer made that statement. Father, I have accomplished the work you gave me. And I've given my disciples work. And so as we accomplish the work God gave us, we will glorify God. And we talked about that means we've got to discover and understand our spiritual gifts, our unique personality, our calling that God has uniquely placed us in in, in, in serving in his kingdom. And so we need to do that. And so those were kind of the points. It was kind of one point uh, last week. And we've got three more that I want to, want to give us and dive into today because this is the church that Jesus prayed for. Now, when you pray for something, something, there's, there's kind of two basic ways you can pray for something. You can pray for something to exist, or you can pray for something that currently exists. 
And you could say it both ways. Like I, I could tell you, I, I, I prayed for grandchildren. Okay? Well, what that could mean is that I'm praying to have grandchildren. Or I could pray for the grandchildren that I have now. And there was a day before I had grandchildren that I prayed for grandchildren to exist. And now that they're here, I pray for those kids. I pray for my grandchildren. And so in Jesus' prayer, he is doing the praying for what doesn't exist yet. He's praying for the church. Now, he's praying for his disciples then, yes. But he's also praying for, for the church that is to come. And so the Lord's Prayer is so much a prayer about, about the church. And I, I heard a story this week uh, uh, about, about a, actually three churches um, in a Midwestern town. And the, those churches all suddenly all experienced the very same problem. And it, what happened was they got overrun by squirrels. And so there was just squirrels everywhere. They were all running in church and all that kind of stuff. And so the, the, each, each church, their leadership, you know, the leaders came together. And how, do, how are we going to handle this squirrel problem? And so the Presbyterian church in town, you know, their leaders met and they talked about it and thought about it. And they, they said, it's just predestined that these squirrels be here, so we just got to live with them. You know? And, and the Methodists, the Methodist church, because their, you know, kind of their leader was, launch was Wesley, and Wesley was a really, really known as a very kind man. They, they had the kinder, gentler approach to the squirrels. They were going to do kind of the catch and release and, you know, take them down the road about 10 miles and turn them loose. Well, three weeks later, squirrels were back, you know. So that might not have been the best plan. I think the Baptist church in the, in the town had the best plan. Here's what they did. They, they baptized all the squirrels. They signed them up for membership. And then they didn't see him again except on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> Bad Baptist pastor. Uh, <laughs> that is not the kind of church that Jesus was praying for. When he was praying for a transformative church. He was truly praying for a church that would make a difference. It would, it would, it would all flow out of its desire to radiate the glory of God. But the second thing that I see in this prayer of Jesus for a transformational church is that it would also reveal the truth of God. That it would reveal the, the truth of God. And I want you to read with me starting in, in verse 6 of John 17. This morning we're just going to move through it in sections. But in verse 6, Jesus said, I have manifested, or what he's saying, I've made great uh, your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He said, I, you gave them to me, I taught them your word, they've kept it. Verse 7, now they know everything that you have given me is from you, because of this word. And for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So I hope you followed kind of what Jesus is saying. He says, Father, I received your word. I, I received it from you, words of truth. And then I passed those words onto, onto them, th those who would follow me, and they received them. And they wrote them down. We have them in the Bible. And then they passed them on and passed them down to us. And Jesus says, Father, I received your words and I declare your words to them. And now, Father, they have received them. 
And what Jesus is saying and praying for is that a transformational church would be the kind of church where his word is central. It's, it's spoken of. It's spoken about. It's taught. It's proclaimed. Uh, it, it's, it's shared uh, in, in small groups every time we gather. The, the, the word of God. Not, not the opinions of men, of people, but the word of God. Now, it's amazing to me how high on Jesus' list of things the transformational church would engage in is, is his word. It's just, it's so very important to Jesus for those who would follow him. Why do you, why do you suppose that might be? Well, I, I think it's because God's word is the source of all truth. It's the source of all truth. It's the source of all truth for how to, how to live this life. And I say it's amazing because oftentimes when you talk to people who are kind of looking for a church, oftentimes the word, God's word taught and proclaimed is kind of down on the list. Oftentimes it's more about like, you know, what are the programs like? You know, what, 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 is, what does that look like? And what's your music style? You know, that, that, that becomes kind of important. But in, in Jesus' life, in Jesus' prayer, Jesus is proclaiming through his prayer that a transformational church that he is praying for would be a church where the word of God would, would be central and is the source of all truth. Jesus in verse 17 goes on to say, he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now, that, that I hope for you explains why we do a lot of what we do regularly when we gather in here. You know, we, we worship and we spend a lot of time wrapped into God's word. You know, I, I know there are people sometimes that show up that would probably think, well, why don't you just do a raffle that Sunday? You know? Or Joe, why don't, why don't you do interpretive dance? You know? It would be scary, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be really, really scary. Yeah. You're, it's okay to laugh, you know. I, I expected that one. Yeah. See, Jesus, Jesus, when he commissioned his disciples, he said, go out to all the world and make disciples of all nations. And then what was the first thing he told them to do in that process? Teach. Teach them to observe everything I commanded. To tell them the truth. Teach them the word uh, of God. And so the, the church that Jesus is praying for will reveal the glory of God. I mean, will, will radiate the glory of God, but it will reveal the truth of God. Incidentally, if you were to jump over to the book of Acts, the, the book of Acts is kind of like the playbook uh, of the church, uh, of, of the first church in Jerusalem after it was born. And, and you look there, you see this. The description... The, the first description of the church goes like this in Acts 2.42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Th those four things. What was at the top of the list? Teaching. The, the, the word of God was central. Now, why didn't, why didn't it say they gave themselves to loving one another first? Or, or why didn't it say, you know, they gave themselves continually to, to singing and worshiping? Or, or why didn't it say they gave themselves to, you know, community improvement first? Why, why did it start with, with teaching, with the Word of God? Here, here's why I think. 
it's because the word of God is what teaches us how to do all those things. God's word, the truth, is what really helps us connect to how do we do all of those other things correctly? How do we, how do we serve in the community well? The Bible teaches that. How do, we, how do we pray? The Bible shows us that. God's word teaches us. How, how do you raise your family the best way? How do you deal with your, your finances? God's word reveals truth about all those areas of life. It's the source of all that followers of Jesus do. And here's the deal. Any church that will, will make it about, about God and make it about his truth, there are two things that are going to happen in the lives of, lives of people in that church and the life of that church. And the first is this. Joy will be produced. Where, where, where God's glory is radiated and where his truth is revealed, joy gets produced. Jesus talks about this in his prayer. He, he prays for this. Uh, again, looking at verse 13, he said, but now I'm coming to you. He's talking about, Father, I'm, 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 I'm coming to you soon. And these things I speak in the world that they, talking about his disciples, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, these things I'm talking about is so that the disciples will have joy, those who follow me. Verse 14, I have given them your word. The world has hated them. Because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here's what Jesus said. I spoke the truth to those who followed me. And as a result, they became filled with joy. And did you notice the hostile environment in which their joy was birthed? It was birthed in a world that hated them. I mean, it literally hated them. But they were, they were filled with joy. So it is not just possible, it is likely that a follower of Jesus can have real, true joy in the midst of people hating them. You know, so how, how can you have joy, that kind of joy, in the, in the midst of a mess? And the answer is the word, the, the, the truth of God. You know, and I just want to be kind of plain here on this issue. There, there are really only two kinds of people when it comes to this issue. There are people of the world and there are people of the word. Now you can be, you can show up in this building all the time and never really be a person of the word. You could be a, per, you could be a very worldly Christian and not be devoted to, to the word of God. And the, the world, when you see that in scripture, is about the systems. Obviously the word of God is, a, is about God's word, the, what, what he teaches in the Bible. Now here's what happens. The people of the world, they can have a sense of happiness. But their happiness is circumstantial. And so as their circumstances change, their happy factor changes. You know, if it's a good day, happiness gets cranked up. Bad day, happiness deflates. You know, it, it, it works that way. But people who are devoted to the word of God, people who are of the word are not prisoners of their circumstances because their, their joy, their contentment is fixed on Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He, he, he is unchanging. So if our joy is rooted in him and truth about who he is, then our joy won't change. It, it will be steady. In fact, the only thing that can happen is it could increase. It, it, could, it could be transformative. Um, oftentimes you will see in the lives of people who are devoted to the word of God, that when they face some of the greatest circumstances, joy increases. 
um, yesterday, we, we, we had a funeral in our church. Most of you know this, that we, um, two, two families uh, experienced the loss of a husband and father. And uh, yesterday, the, the, the services that we did, um, one of the sons uh, had some conversations with uh, several people about his mom. And he, he, I don't think he used this language, but it was basically he said, she's freaking me out because she is steadfast in her joy right now. She, she's, she's just fixed. And he did not know that woman most of his life. She'll tell you that. She, she was a basket case most of this young man's life. And now he's watching the power of Christ that has transformed her because her life has become rooted in truth. And when most people will be falling apart, she's picking people up around her. It's because her life has gotten rooted in the word of God and the truth of God. And he never changes. Jesus never changes. And so, you know, when we see this, if our lives are rooted in the truth, you're ex and here's, what, here's how it happens. Your life gets rooted as you expose yourself to the truth. The more time you spend reading, you know, in his word, reading about what's, what's going to happen after this life. So she was fixated on what was happening now. For her husband that she understood has gone home to be with the Lord. She was fixated on that. Not, not her circumstance. She was fixated on the truth. She was fixated on, on what's yet to come for her. Because she was rooted in the truth of God. That great English Baptist minister Charles Spurgeon said, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful people is in keeping with his nature. We should be filled with joy because that's just, that's who God is. God is the most joyful creature. He's not a creature. He's the most joyful being. That's the word I'm looking for in all creation. He, he, is, he, is, he is filled with joy. And our joy is produced from the truth of that. From the truth of that reality. So it, it can be genuine. I, I promise you she wasn't faking it yesterday or the days leading up to that. She still, she still weeps. She, still experienced, she was still experiencing sorrow over the loss of her husband. But she had joy in the midst of it that made her steadfast and immovable. Because she knew that God had revealed to her her purpose. She knew that God had revealed to her his truth. His meaning for her life. He, she knew what, what is around the corner in the future. Heaven, the promises of God because she'd been rooted in the truth. Psalms 119 tells us that Joyful are people who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. See, this, this finding of truth, the truth of God, creates joy. It creates joy. Second thing that it'll produce is holiness. It'll produce joy, but it'll also produce holiness. His truth will do that. In John 17, again in verse 15, Jesus prayed, I do not ask you, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Now, if you underline something in your Bible from time to time, underline or circle that word sanctify or sanctified. See, I know it's kind of a religious sounding word, but it's a, it's a great word. It's a really, really good word because it, what it means to be is separated from sin. 
It's just this, this movement that knowing the truth will separate you further and further from sin. It means being holy. It means being more like God. That's what sanctification is. It's getting separated from sin. So here, here's the question that we all need to ask ourselves regularly as it relates to this. How different are we from the world? If we're people of the word, how different are we from, from, from the world? You know, we live, we live in an age of rage. And it is so easy to get sucked into that pipeline. To just become so angry and so bitter and so resentment that we just constantly want to lash out. And Jesus is praying to his father saying, Father, sanctify them in the, in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth that you got this. You know, that you raise up kings and leaders and you put them down. You got this. God, you, you, you're, you've, you're handling all the, you got this. And people of the word know this. And so we don't get sucked into that. And that's part of why Jesus said, God, purify them. Get that stuff out of them. That's what sanctification does for us. Now, how does that process actually work? What, what does it look like? How does the truth of God's word produce holiness? Well, it goes back to exposure again. The more I expose myself to it. Here's what will happen. And some of you will say, that's happened to me. Sometimes you'll be making your way through the word of God. Or maybe you're in here and we're talking through the word of God together. And you will get comforted. Because the word of God will just comfort you sometimes. It will just, it will comfort a soul that is weary and hurting. It will just bring you comfort. And you need to experience that. You need, you need to, 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 to feel that. Other times, God's word is not going to be comforting. It's going to be confronting. Now, here's what happens when we, when we come across God's word and it's comforting. We get our big pink highlighter out. and We just highlight that thing and we want to hold it out there and look at it, show people. I, look at that, that comfort. But when God's word confronts, we don't want to highlight it. We want to hide it. We, we don't want God's word to come at us like that. You know, we, we love the comfort, but we don't love the confrontation. And I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, please. If you are being confronted by the word of God, it is because God is trying to protect you from a pit. He's trying to keep you out of a calamity. So if you get confronted by the word of God, it may be delivered in a message, it may be delivered in your reading, it may be delivered by a brother or sister in Christ, but let, let, it, let it do its work. You know, the Bible, God's word speaks of itself that it is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, man, pierces. It can separate your soul and spirit. It can separate bone and marrow. It can discern the intent of your heart and your desires. Let it do that. Let it confront you at, at, at that level. And this is one of the reasons why for 2,000 years as the church is gathered, the word is always central here. The word is central to what, what we do as the people of God. Paul, when he was training up young Timothy, would write to him. And he wrote to Timothy and said, Timothy, preach the word of God, proclaim it, tell the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Let, let out of God's word, let it correct and rebuke and encourage people. You know, do that with, with good teaching. And I hope you saw the balance there. 
There needs to be encouragement in the word. You need to find encouragement in the word. But then you also need to let the word rebuke you. You need to let the word confront you. And I just, please, don't just live in the comfort of it. Live in the confrontation of it. Because God, God's got a plan for you there. So the transformational church that Jesus prayed for radiates the glory of God and it reveals the truth of God. And before I give you the third thing, I want to say this about the last two points. Those first two points really have to do with us. Have to do with, you know, how we relate to God and to his word. These last two points have to do with how, as God's people, we relate to the broken world. To, to the lost world, those who have yet to see Jesus. And so as we come at these, I want you to see these that way. So the third thing that Jesus prayed for here is that Jesus prayed that the transformational church would rescue the enemies of God. A transformational church that Jesus is praying for would rescue the enemies of God. Now please understand why I use that language because Jesus said in Luke 11, anyone who is not for me is what? Is against me. You're not for me, you're against me. And the Bible over and over again clearly depicts that there was a day when I was, when you were an enemy of God. I mean, this wasn't just like, you know, he didn't like you a little bit. You were a foe. You were an enemy of God. Romans 5.10, Paul writes and says, when we were his enemies, we were brought back to God by the death of his son. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, remember that in those days, you were living utterly apart from Christ. You were enemies of God. He writes to the church at Colossae. He says, at one time, you were far away from God and were his enemies. And so we have to understand there was a day when we were the enemies of God and we got rescued. We got rescued. Jesus came to rescue. Look, look how he prays about this in, in John 17. Again, going back to verse 14. He said, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they were not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, how was Jesus sent? He was sent as a rescuer. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. He said, I'm sending them out to rescue. Jump down to verse 20. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, not the ones that were right there with him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you. You and I believed through their message. We trusted Christ through, through their message. And see, it, it is obvious that Jesus commissioned his followers to go out to be sent out into the world. And he anticipates in his prayer their evangelism. He anticipates their success. He anticipated that you would be here today because of that. Because they would be successful in being the apostles, the, 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 the sent ones, to be on mission. And that's the word that's used here. When he says, Father, you sent me, that's the word apostle. You apostled. And when he says, I sent them, I apostled them. And what that means is, now we, this generation of believers, we're apostles. Now, I know, I know most of you think, you know, St. Paul the apostle, you get that. But you don't look in the mirror and think, apostle. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the person next to you and say, greetings, Apostle Joe or Apostle so-and-so. Just the person next to you. If you don't know their name, introduce yourself and say, hello there, Apostle so-and-so. See, we, we've got to see ourselves 
as apostles, as, as ones who have been sent. If the church doesn't do that, then the church debilitates into a club. The church starts becoming a, a help me club, a pick me up club, a take care of me club, a fix me up club. Instead of what it was intended by Jesus to be, and that is on mission, as, as a group of people sent together on mission for the sake of the lost world. And, and we need to be doing that. Now, should when we gather, should we be blessed by one another? Should we, should we grow? Should we be helped? Should we get fixed and picked up? Yeah, all those things should happen. But that should not turn us exclusively inward. We've got to keep our eye on what's going on out in the world. You know, I've heard it said that the church is the only community that exists for the benefit of non-members. That's, this community exists for the benefit primarily of those who aren't here. It is part of our calling. It is, it is deep in the prayer that Jesus is praying here. There was a day when Jesus was with his disciples and this is Joe's translation, get your eyes off yourself. Now the way that John translates it, he says, Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see the fields. They're white for harvest, you know? But they had to take their, their eyes off themselves in order to look at, at others. And he goes on in that verse to say, and the, the one who reaps is gathering fruit for eternal life. This is fruit for eternal life when we gather this way. And you and I know this. It is so easy for every organization, including the church, to debilitate into only thinking of itself. Even when Jesus said, go, go to all the world. You know, when he said that, somehow it got translated in our hearing, you know, as something like, well, come to our church, you know? And so we, we, we build a building. And what do we say? Well, y'all come. You know, y'all come to my church. And, and what Jesus said to us was, y'all go. Not y'all come, y'all go. That's what Jesus said. Go rescue. Go be a part of that. So how do, how do we get in the rescuing game? Well, I want to give you three things that are, again, straight out of Jesus' prayer here. It starts with knowing something, and it's knowing our position. It's knowing our position in the battlefield. It's, it's knowing our position on the playing field, you know. We've got to know what our role is, what our position is. Or we won't do any good. In verse 16, Jesus says, he says, they, he's talking about his followers. They are not of this world. Just as I am not of this world. You've got to understand your position. You're not of this world. You're, you're in exile right now. You're, you're an, uh, an alien, you know, in foreign territory. You're not of this world. But then he says this, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. I've sent you into the world. You and I have been sent. And we've got to know that. We, we've got to know that we are apostles. We are one sent by God. So we've got to know our position. We've, we've got to understand this. That he has sent us to the world. Now, when, when the New Testament uses this phrase, you know, and as it's used here, that they are in the world but not of the world, the world that's being spoken of there is not just a bunch of people and it's not like the globe or, you know, the planet Earth. It's the systems of the world. It's the philosophies. It's the, the, the worldviews of the world that set themselves up in opposition to God. And Jesus in his prayer said, I'm asking you got to protect them from the evil one because he knew that he's the, the Lord of this world. Uh, do you know the scripture describes Jesus that way as the God of this world? 
You know, that's, that's the description that the scripture gives to him. That he oversees these systems and philosophies and those kinds of things. And we've got to know our position is against those. Not against people. We've got to position ourselves against the enemy. Not against those people. They're, they're, they're deceived. And we have to understand that. One of the things that Jesus prayed in his prayer we looked at last week in verse 4 was he, he said to the Father, I have finished, I, I have finished the work you gave me. See, then he gave us that work. And we've got to understand this work. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to get this. But here's, here's the problem. This is where the church drifts the most. So easy for us to drift here. Dwight L. Moody, over 100 years ago, used this illustration and I love it. He said, sometimes the church is a little bit like a fireman who's running into a burning, blazing house. It's about to collapse and he's going in to see if there's anybody there. And while he's on his way, he sees a picture on the wall that's crooked. And he stops to straighten it. He says, that's what the church is like. He says, that wasn't that guy's mission. The walls are about to fall down, you know? It's not, it, we, we're so easily distracted by so many things that are not our primary purpose. We've got to understand that we are passing through and the world is on fire. And we're not called to straighten pictures. We're called to rescue people from, from, from the flames. So we, we've got to know. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to grow. We've got to know our position. We've got to grow in preparation. We've got to grow in our preparation. We've got to know our position. We've got to grow in preparation. We've got to be spiritually prepared, folks. We, we've, got to, we've got to be equipped in this. Uh, it, it, again, in, back to his prayer, Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so here's the issue. We're, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And what that means is we have to be equipped to function in it without becoming part of it. If you were an astronaut and you were being sent into space, you would, you would be given a certain piece of equipment called your suit. And that suit allows you to function in an environment that you were not created for. Uh, better yet, a deep diver. Deep diver gets in a suit that, that pressurizes from the inside out because the pressure of the water coming down on them is so great that it, it, it keeps it at bay. And the truth is for you and me, we have to be pressurized from the inside to be protected from what's outside. You know what pressurizes us from the inside? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that which God has given us to pressure, put pressure in the inside of us to keep the pressure from the outside from crushing us. And the Holy Spirit uses the truth of God's word to inflate us, to pump us up. It's kind of Arnold, pump up, man. You, know, we, you, you get pumped up from the inside with the Spirit as you expose yourself to the truths of God. You know, that, that, that's what we do. That's what this sanctifying process looks like. So let the spirit flow through you as you open the word of God. But we've got to be growing and being prepared from the pressure from within so we, we can withstand the pressure from without. And the sanctifying work of God with the spirit of God is what does that. So we have to know our position. We've got to grow in our preparation. And then we've got to go. 
we, we, gotta, we gotta go. There's, there's knowing and there's growing and there's this going. Jesus said in verse 18 of this prayer, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. I've sent them into the world. And again, friends, this is where the church gets so disconnected. You know, we love that knowing part. We like to know our position. We like to know our identity in Christ. We love that. And then we like that growing part, man. We like, we, any, you know, Lifeway puts out a study, baby, we're on it. You know, we filling in blanks. We got that going on. We love that growing part, you know. But until we start going, here's what happens in churches that don't go. They may, they may be great at knowing. They may be great at growing. But if they are not going, here's what always happens. They get spiritually fat. And that always leads to spiritually sassy. They get fat and sassy. That's what happens to churches that don't go. Because see, our going is our exercise. It's, it's what our life was intended for. That's where we go out and we, we do the work. You know, so many churches just love to sit and debate theology, you know, baby, and get in. And, and I'm not knocking that. That's part of our preparation. We got to do that. But if we don't follow that with going, it will kill us from the inside. It'll kill us from the inside. We have got to go. Now, historically, historically, there, there are lots of ways that the church has tried to interact with the world that's really sometimes been, uh, been life-sucking from the church, just sucks the life out of the church. There are five that I can identify. There are probably more, but there are five that come to my mind. The first one is, one of the responses the church has had to the world is we just try to, to isolate. Some of you will remember maybe studying history or church history, there was a season uh, where a bunch of monasteries popped up. It's kind of a monastic movement. And there's, there's a flavor of that going on in our own culture today. People are just trying to isolate themselves from, from the world. And that's not really God's plan. Another kind of modified version of that is insulating. We try to insulate ourselves from the world. You know, we, we just, we, 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 we kind of get all of our people together, you know, and we put a moat around, you know, our property, and then we draw the bridge up, and we just try to stay insulated from what's going on. Again, not, not part of Jesus' plan. Another, another plan that is probably not really a plan, but just happens is uh, the vegetation plan. You know, you just sit kind of and vegetate. You, you take it all in and you just kind of lay back lazy, you know. And you just kind of vegetate. And here, here's what normally happens if you enter that vegetation kind of process is it becomes all about self-comfort. You just want to comfort yourself. Then there's another one that really seems to have taken root in our world today, and that is the church begins to imitate the world. Trying to, to it, sometimes it starts out with a good motivation to reach them, but it debilitates and we, we get lost out there in them. We, we become more like the world than the world becomes like, like Christ, you know? We start trying to remove everything from central, that's central to the church. There, there are churches that don't use this book when they gather. And I'm thinking, how? How, how do you function in life without, without the truth of God? But here's, here's the last way that the church is supposed to go. We're not to go isolate. We're not to go insulate or vegetate. Not to do any of those th kinds of things, imitate. We're, we're, we're called to go permeate. We, we have got to go permeate or penetrate, whichever of those two words you like better. We've got to go permeate the culture. Jesus, how many of you would consider yourself to be salt? Salt of the earth. You're just salt of the earth kind of people. Anybody out there think of themselves as a salt of the earth? Nobody? Jesus said you were. 
Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. That's who you are. Do you know what this is when we get together? This is the salt shaker, baby. We get in here, you know, all the salt kind of shakes together when we worship. We pray, you know, we, we just shake it up. We're just, this is the salt shaker. And it's good for the salt to shake together a little bit. But you know where we're really the salt of the earth? When we go out and we get sprinkled on the world. That's, that's where the salt permeates our culture, where we really make a difference. We've been called, yeah, we've been called to gather Shake the salt up a little bit in the shaker. But we have, it's got to be shaken out there. We have to be the salt out there. That's God's beautiful plan for us. And it doesn't have to be unnatural. It's just the most natural thing in the world. You can write this down. 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm not going to open. It's not going to come up. But there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 7 about four lepers. They're, they're dying of leprosy. And not only are they dying of leprosy, they, they're, you know, they're not allowed in the city. And these are, these are lepers that were of Samaria. Their town had been besieged by a foreign army. And they were start, people in the city were starving to death. The, the lepers outside the city were starving to death. And one of them guys went, just said, you know, we're going to die here. Why don't we just go, you know, turn ourselves in and become their prisoners. Maybe they'll throw us breadcrumbs or something. And um, so they go, they do that. They decide we're going we're gonna to go turn ourselves in and we'll just become prisoners of war. Well, when they get into the camp of the enemy army, they discover that they're gone. And it wasn't like, you know, they just packed up and moved. They dropped everything and ran because the Bible says God drove them out. And so these four guys, they go in and they're just, they're having a time where they're gorging themselves, eating, they're, they're trying on clothes and picking up swords and they're just, they're having a, this is Joe's interpretation of the story by the way. They're just having a grand old time and then suddenly one of them, one of them stops for a minute and thinks about their, their families that are starving back in Samaria. Their friends that are starving back in Samaria. And one of them has, has this kind of moment and, and he says, Friends, this is a day of good news. This is a day of good news. This isn't, this isn't just for us. We got, we got to go back and we got to, we, we got to take this to, to those that, are, that, that need rescuing. Did you know that we live in a day of good news? We, you and I live in the age of God's grace. He has poured out his grace on this planet through Jesus. We, we live in, in grace. And so permeating, shaking our salt out there is the easiest thing because we got the good news. It doesn't have to be unnatural or faked or phony. It, it's just, it's so natural. Here's the last point and we're, we're, we're going to be done real quickly on this. God's, the transformational church that Jesus prayed for radiates the glory of God. It reveals the truth of God. It rescues the enemies of God. But it does all of that while reveling in the love of God. It just revels in the love of God. The love of God is both our focus and our fuel. The love of God's found in Jesus. And that's, I'm, I'm not going to read it. I'm, this is your assignment. Go home and read verses 20 and following. Read the rest of the chapter. And here's what you're going to see. Jesus is praying for unity in his church. And he is saying the only way this church will ever be united so that the world will believe you sent me is if they love each other. If they love each other. Radically love one another. 
Amanda, we're going to skip through those verses again and go to that very last verse in, verse in 1 John. I want you to see this. You may want to write this one down and go back and look at it. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, John writes these words. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. If you are not experiencing all of God that you want, I want to ask you a question. How are you loving these people? How are you loving each other? You know, there are people who come to church who are more in love with the programs of the church than they are with the people of the church. And we'll fight about stuff like that. Because we love those things more than we love one another. And we're missing sometimes out on the full expression of God's love for us. The full expression of God in our midst. So I want to just say, if you're at odds with a brother or sister in Christ, if you're not loving them well, will you deal with that? Will you repent of that? Will you, will you love them more than you love the programs of this church? Will you love well? See, when, when we love each other, the world will see the power of love. It will yearn for the source of that power. And that source is Jesus. The one we worship. Our Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. I want this time of prayer for just a moment to first be soul searching just give the Holy Spirit some permission some space in your life you know we're in this series of transformational church and it's so easy we just want to put the spotlight on the church but for a moment I want you to put the, the spotlight take your, take your spotlight off the church because we can find out what's wrong in the church put the spotlight on you put the spotlight on you by asking yourself this question what am I really living for? Am I living for myself? Am I living for self-comfort? What am I really living for? Am I living to radiate the glory of God, reveal the truth of God? Am I living to, to rescue the enemies of God? Maybe before you ask that, that question, you need to ask have I really been rescued by God? Have I really trusted Christ Jesus with my eternity here and now and forevermore? Have I really trusted Jesus? Or am I just trying to live out of my own strength? Have I really been rescued? And, and when was the last time you were part of a rescue party? that literally rescued someone from death and helped them move from being an enemy to God to being a friend of God through Jesus. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Your, your journey, your story of Jesus in your life. And how are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you loving each other well? Lord Jesus, we come. 
We come wanting to experience the full expression of you, O oh God. We want the full expression of your love, Lord Jesus. And we come knowing that it's in you alone. In you alone that we'll find that. We know that you have prayed that River Bluff Church would be a transformational church. You want that. You prayed that 2,000 years ago. That we would radiate your glory. That we would reveal your truth. That we would, we would rescue enemies. And that we would revel in your love. Primarily as we love each other. And Jesus, we know we can't do that without you being central to all that we do. So again this day, many of us reaffirm our, our commitment to you to make you Lord of all in our lives. And maybe you're here and for the very first time you've realized you've never been rescued yourself. And you want to trust Christ today. And you can do that just by simply saying, Jesus, I believe that you were sent by God. I believe that. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that the work Jesus said he finished, he finished on the cross and was raised from the dead so that I might have life eternal. And I repent. I repent of trying to do it all myself and I trust you, Jesus. You can pray that prayer right now and be rescued for all eternity. But Jesus, we come now knowing that it's all about you. It's in you alone that we find our strength. It's in you alone that we can radiate the glory of God. It's in you alone that we can even know truth. And we come knowing it's in you alone that we've been rescued. So we come now to worship and celebrate your goodness. We come wanting to radiate your love through our giving back to you what's yours, your tithes and our offerings. We we give it back to you because your truth tells us how to best live financially by giving back to you generously. We come and we worship you, Lord Jesus, and we celebrate your goodness and your beauty and your grace. And we long to experience it in its fullest expression now as we come. And we ask all these things and pray them in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.